Centripetal force. Can y'all say that? Centripetal force. Not centrifugal. Centripetal force. Six and a half years ago, God really gave me an understanding of what this is. Now, this is a scientific formulation. Is that how you would say it? Yes. All right. So you got a little man on the outside of the circle, and something from the center is causing this man to stick to the outside source. Well, my curiosity brings me to the inward source or that's causing this force. Six and a half years ago, something happened to me right before my youngest daughter was born, my only daughter. Amen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Centripetal force. Isaac Newton said uh, it's a force by which bodies are drawn or impelled towards a point of center. So to me, centripetal force is Jesus. So Jesus is centripetal, the centripetal source. Amen. Amen? the one that draws me inward. And the reason I said six and a half years ago something happened to me that revolutionized the way I walked with Jesus was because he made me understand what I want to have you understand tonight, and that's uh, the hope of glory, Christ in us. The hope of glory, Christ in us, is the goal tonight. So if I preach bad or anything else, you walk away knowing that Christ in us is the hope of glory, and the hope of glory is Christ in us. Amen. The title tonight will be Samuel's Awakening. And if you would turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, six and a half years ago, what happened? Six and a half years ago, what happened? And the Lord brought me to the scripture. As I was walking with Jesus, understanding who he was, something happened. There was a turn in my understanding that brought me from understanding to knowledge. From, from, there's, such a, there's such a far distance between here and here. And Jesus brought me from here to here, and, under, and I understood where he was. Because, see, I thought he was, he was a far-off God that was around me. But he, he did something. He made me understand that he was in me. And when that happens and you get your eyes fixed on where he is, then you'll know where you are. Amen. First Samuel. Let me share this with you before we go there. Six and a half years ago, as I was under, I was going through this with, with my walk with Jesus. He started I understand this inward. This it was a struggle, really a struggle always trying to look here and there and find where he was and where his, where his will was and where his favor was. And then I realized that he was all the time in me, opened up for Samuel to me. And when it did that, this was at a time we were about to have a baby. And I'm, I'm asking God, what would I name my baby girl? Just something practical. And I was listening to a worship song. And the singer started saying it was like it was like awakening from anesthesia. It was like I was sleepwalking or I was walking, thinking I was doing something, but I awakened from anesthesia. 
And the Lord gave me two words, anesthesia and victory. It was like awakening from anesthesia into victory. And so I named my daughter Anna Victoria. And so it signifies a time in my life, and I always remember the time in my life where I went from walking with Jesus and understanding him to knowing him. The hope of glory, Christ in me. First Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Oh, but one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying in the temple, better known as the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was. When the Lord called Samuel, Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. <laughs> but Eli said, I do not. I did not call. Go back and lay down. So he went and laid down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lay down. Now, Samuel did not know the Lord. You understand where I was at in this? As I was walking with the Lord and the Lord knew my name. But I didn't know his. I was in covenant with him. And he was mine. And I was his. But I did. There was something more. Some greater understanding of him. The Bible calls it knowing him. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Come on, what's, what's John say the word was? In the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh. Amen. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. How many, how many serve God as a far-off God or an outside God that acts actually in you? You see, the difference between uh, us and any other religion is that Jesus is the intimacy of the Father. It's that connection which makes us different than every other person on the planet because there's no separation between us. The Lord said to Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up. He called to Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go lay down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there. Where? There. There. Calling at, at the other times, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. <laughs> what was the difference? What was the difference? The Lord speaks to Samuel. Samuel may have been somewhere around 12 or 13 years old. You hear that? The Lord speaks to the youth. He speaks to you wherever you're at, at what age, young or old. He's a respecter of no men. Prophecy, gifts, words of knowledge, young or old. The Lord does what he wants when he wants. <laughs> then Samuel said, 
speak, for your servant is listening. It's so simple. We read right over, and all Samuel did was make himself available. You know what he stopped doing? He stopped running to this man and that man. He stopped running to Eli to get an understanding of what the Lord was trying to say. He stopped running here or there and everywhere else, and he simply went back where he was there, where God originally spoke, and God honored that. Slow down. Listen, for God's speaking to you where you're at. <laughs> My testimony, it was a great awakening for me. It was a great awakening, and it was a great awakening for Samuel. Because what was happening here was a transition. Eli was the high priest. Uh, it said that Samuel was, let's see, the last of the judges, first of the prophets. It was a transition. And I feel like the Lord just gave me this word. There's some in here that need to understand. There's a point where you go from a judge to a prophet in the house of God. A judge and a prophet in your own house. Some of us are judging taking the seat of a judge in our house when we should be administrating over the gifts of God in our house. You understand this? Amen. What about husbands? Think about it. As a husband sits at a judge, and he is, for his house. But what if he was simply lay back and let the Holy Ghost do the work and administrate the, the gifts of God in his own home? He'd be an administrator of the, of the Holy Ghost in his own house. Speak, for your servant is listening. And he did what he was told. I told you uh, tonight's title was Samuel's Awakening. And that makes me think of something that's happened in history, which was the Great Awakening. And when that makes me think of the Great Awakening, it thinks, makes me think of some of those who participated in the move of God that they called the Great Awakening. One was uh, Jonathan Edwards. I want to read to you something. An understanding that this man had. Jonathan Edwards was part of the Great Awakening. He preached messages like sinners in the hands of God, angry God. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I like the heart of this man. He, he had ministered over the, uh, the gifts of God as well. Healing, seeing limbs grown out, seeing miraculous signs and wonders. This is what he said. What the church has been used to is not a rule by which we are to judge because there may be new and extraordinary works of God. Amen. He is evidently ready to do once again in an extraordinary manner these works. He has brought to pass new things, strange works, and has done so in such a manner to surprise both men and angels. And as God has done this, in times past, so we have no reason to think, but that he will do it still. The, pro the prophecies of scripture give us reason to believe that God has things to accomplish, which, has, uh, which never have been yet. Why ought not 
uh, we ought not to limit God where he has not limited himself. Amen. <laughs> Are we guilty of that? I am. No. <laughs> Go with me the first. Oh, that's not first. Go with me to Colossians. Colossians 1. Colossians 1 9. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all supernatural wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has what? Qualified you. He has qualified you to do this, to share in the inheritance of the saints. Just stop there for a minute. The inheritance of the saints, I believe, is so vaguely misunderstood and not taken advantage of. I told you if my goal was to understand the hope of glory, which is Christ in us. And that means the fullness of Christ in us. And that means if we can share into the inheritance of the saints, which is, who is us, then what is our inheritance? We speak it and know it, or maybe we just understand it and don't really know it. Because if we knew it, we would believe it and walk in it. The inheritance of the saints. Pastor Eric has shown many times, as in Job, where Jesus came and he reached out his hand to man and to God and connected the two. This is such a beautiful picture. Because what it produces in you is humility and you're able to walk in it. And what it does is when I was talking about the intimacy uh, of God being Jesus, this was it. He separated the veil. He separated it. As Samuel was sleeping, when God spoke to him, he was sleeping in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle. And the high priest wasn't even there. But Samuel wanted to get so close to the presence of God that he would sleep as close as possible. I could imagine he snuggled up to the menorah. <laughs> it's pure childlike faith. And what's, what happens is he connects the two. And what does Colossians call it here? to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, there's you, there's God, then there's a the son he loves. And he's connected the two. 
And he loves his son so much. And he put him in you. What does that mean for you? That he loves you so much. That much. There's no possible way that he cannot. Because Christ is in you. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. You see, God's given us the ministry of the invisible. It's easy, easy for us to see something and make judgment on it according to the word. But it takes dependence upon the spirit of God, discernment to understand how to make right judgment on something you cannot see. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is our centripetal source. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. <laughs> For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do we understand the power of even one drop of his blood? 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I rejoice in the fact that he shed his blood for you and released an inheritance for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission of God that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its what? In its fullness. The fullness of God dwells in the man Jesus, and the man Jesus, the Christ, dwells in you. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to you, the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in you. Did you get that? The hope of glory God has put in you. The hope is in you. It's got to shine. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this we end in labor struggle in his, in his energy, which so powerfully works. There it goes again. In me. Chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and unity in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in you. In whom all, in whom hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. Look down at 9 and 10. 
For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given the fullness of Christ. Let me expand your uh, understanding here a little bit, because it did mine in some encouraging stores. Are y'all with me? So when I went studying the Great Awakening, I found a few people that I felt like uh, had the same characteristics as some of us. And so I want to share them with you. <laughs> One was named George Fox. He was known to be part of the movement of the Society of Friends later to be called the Quakers, because when the Spirit of God would come on them, they would tremble and shake, and outside sources tried to mock them, and they'd say they're the Quakers, and they happily accepted it, because <laughs> it would happen. <laughs> 1650s, Society of Friends. George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, was born in England. From childhood, he expressed a particular sobriety and yearning for spiritual truth, as a young man, he went through a time of intense spiritual struggle to know God personally and experientially. Unable to find help in need from the priest or the state church and other leaders, he was at the point of total despair. This is our times. This might have been several hundred years ago. They came out of a state church. Our society is trying to impose another state church onto us. Yet he was in total despair because he's searching within his religion, which in his church, within his church walls, and knew that there was something more, something more than what he was, his eyes could see. There, he was in total despair when he heard a voice say, there is one even Jesus Christ, that can speak to your condition. From that point, he began to experience the Spirit of the Lord leading and teaching him in a personal and dynamic fashion. In his search, he became peculiarly, peculiarly, particularly convinced of the priority of Christ within us. You see, on every side that he looked out, everywhere he looked, there was his, his church and his times, everybody was seeking outward sources to find Jesus. He's looking here and looking there, and all of a sudden he realizes, like Samuel, that God is right where he is at, in him. The hope of glory, Christ in him. Fox emphasis on the reality and authority of Christ within the believer and the inner light brought him into sharp conflict with the authority structure of the official church. Whereas the state church relied on outward ritual and ceremony to rule the people, Fox emphasized the responsibility of each individual to respond to the indwelling Christ of Scripture. Amen. He emphasized that the true church consisted not of buildings, but of God's true people. He preached against a professional salaried ministry declaring that authority to ministers authority to minister remained in Christ and expressed itself 
through all true believers. Amen. I like this guy. Yeah. Sounds like us. <laughs> One of his quotes was, the Lord's power was so great in his time that some of the house that a house that he was in seemed to be shaken. When I had done some of the prof uh, when I was done with some of the professors had said it was now as in the days of the apostles when the house was shaken where they were. These were their prayer meetings. Yes. Yes. What's beautiful is there's God's testimony throughout all history as we see uh, Catholic and Protestant. Uh, in every other religion there is, God has a testimony in a people and his spirit moves among them mightily. Just as he is here, I'm telling you that this, we, are, we are experiencing the spirit of God and we have so much more we get to have. We are cracking open a wellspring of life. One more. This one. When I like, okay, Miss Charlie, I found you in history. There was a people. Okay, in 1685, they were called the Huguenots. That's the best I can say. Sure, Huguenots. <laughs> and so, 400,000 Huguenots fled from England, Persia, Holland, South Africa, and the Carolinas in North Africa. Large numbers chose to remain, however, and of these, many were, many were consecrated, no, they weren't consecrated, concentrated in the Sibian uh, Mountains of southern France. Because of the dynamic power of the spirit in their midst, they became known as the French prophets. You see, we got a French prophet. Their firm belief in the supernatural power of God arose from their prayer and diligent searching of the New Testament. They insisted God has nowhere in the scriptures concluded himself from dispensing again the extraordinary gifts of his spirit unto men. Amen. Indeed, tongues, visions, prophecies, utterances, and other supernatural phenomenons were common in their midst. One of the most outstanding phenomenon among these Protestant believers was the prophetic anointing that came among small children. Children as young as three years old both prophesied and delivered discourses in perfect, fluent French, even though it was not their native tongue. On one occasion, a 14-month-old child who previously had never spoken suddenly began exhorting to the works of repentance in a loud, childish voice. Yeah. Come on now. If that happens right now among us, I'm going to be surprised. All right? That means I got room for my faith to grow. And this should be encouraging your faith and understanding that we're on the brink of an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You've been slain in the Spirit? Great. It's a start. Prophesy. Prophesy. If you prophet, prophesy. 
Instead, we sit on it. I heard somebody say today, well, where there's fear, there's no dance. Where there's a dance, there's no fear. We sit on our prophecies. We sit on the gifts of God because we're afraid. But if we knew the hope of glory, Christ in us, we'd be so focused on him that he would, he would propel himself out of us. <laughs> Look at this one. They would, they would uh, often have times where they would speak in Latin, Hebrew, and other languages that they never knew. Speaking in tongues seems to have been common among them. That. Speaking in tongues, this is a small thing. I'm just saying. All right, got past that part. Susan, could you put up those kingdom scriptures for me? These, I love. And here, here's what I know about the scriptures. It says that we speak what we know and what we have seen. And what, why, I, I'm enjoying myself tonight, you know why? Because I'm telling you about something that I know and I've seen. I, I'm not telling you about something that I read in a book or somebody else taught me. I know and I have seen and I can testify. So all I'm doing up here is testifying to what God's done in me. And what he's done in me is show me that he's not an outside source, but he's in me. And when I find out that centrality of Christ in me, I can grab hold to him. And there's nothing I hold on to but him. I don't have to hold on to anything else because he's got a grip on my soul. Hmm. Where we go? There we are. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go, preach the message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Susan's dad came one time and he preached the whole message. The kingdom of heaven is nigh thee. King James. Oh, man. Get you fired up. The kingdom of heaven is near you. Oh, but it goes better than that. Because the kingdom of heaven is near those who don't know him. Heal the sick, raise the dead, clean, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely. You have received, freely give, it don't belong to you. Matthew 12, 28, but if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, Luke says by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Revelations 12:10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Christ." And guess where it's at? In you. Luke 17:20. Once having been asked by the Pharisee when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, "The kingdom of God does not come Visibly, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. You see, the kingdom of God has, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I say thy kingdom come out of me, because that's where it starts. The kingdom of God is all around you. It's in you. Understand the centrality, the understanding of where it starts is in you. And resonates or radiates from within. When you do that, it's like a magnetic force. When you let the kingdom of God radiate from without, from within, 
it's a magnet and draws men to you. If I be lifted up, I will draw men to me. Remember, you are dead and he is alive in you. Turn back with me to 1 Samuel. First Samuel 3. We're going to go back where we were. Now that I said what I needed to say, I want you to understand First Samuel in the light that I understand it. If the kingdom is in you and the kingdom belongs to the king and the king is the Christ, and the Christ is the hope of glory, then the hope of glory rests upon you and in you. And guess what? The fullness of the Christ, the fullness of the Father is in Christ, and the fullness of Christ is in you. Do we understand that we get that? Now wonder men quake and shake when the power of God comes upon them. You know what happens? It didn't come upon them. It was released from within. The Spirit of God takes the path of least resistance. As we pray and prophesy for people, it's the ones who come up with the purity of heart and says, do whatever you may. You understand? God's trying to release, release the gifts out of you. He's already put them in you, all gifts and all men. They're already in you. He didn't set you up to fail. He, gave you, he equipped you for everything. Why? He qualified you. He equipped you for the race before you even, before, when you began it, so that you can finish it. He did not set you up for failure. He set you up for victory. Let's see. One dark night, Eli's, Eli, that's uh, three, two. Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, lying down in his usual place. Now take note of that. As he lies down, as his eyes become weak, Samuel rises up because he's sleeping as close as possible to the presence of the Lord. And here's a good word. The lamp of God had not gone out yet. <laughs> the lamp of God had not gone out yet. We get baptized in the Holy Ghost. We get full of his spirit. And we look back and say, that was great. And we treat it as though it was a salvation experience at an altar. We understand this part. This word is driven into us. Do we understand that an infilling of the Holy Ghost at the altar is the start? Is the start. It's just the beginning of our inward wellspring of life start to flow. It's a start. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the tabernacle of the Lord where the 
ark of God was. We know the ark represented the presence. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord's speaking to Samuel and he's saying, Samuel, you understand me, but I want you to know me. Samuel, come. I want you to know me. But Eli said, I do not. I, I did not call you. Go back and, and lay down. So he went back and laid down again and again and again. He called. And in verse eight, the Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told him, go lay down as if. Uh, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times. And he calls his name twice. Boy, it sure isn't special to know that heaven knows your name. And that if you'll stay planted where God has you and understand the centrality of Christ, that he'll meet you where you're at and where you go, he is. And that the spirit of God wants to come from within and overflow you. I want to know you, Samuel. This is what he's saying. Samuel, I love your heart, Samuel. I love who you are, Samuel. I love the fact that you want to be so close to my presence, Samuel. So what I'm going to do, Samuel, is I'm going to come in the night and I'm going to whisper in the night and I'm going to wake you. And I'm going to wake you, Samuel, because I want to know you. I want to know you in a different fashion. And I want you to know me. And I want you to know that I am in you and you are in me. Samuel says, where are you, Lord? He says, I'm in you. Quit running to Eli. Quit running here and there. Where are you, Lord? Samuel would say, I hear your voice. And I'm going to run here and there. But where are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I'm in you, Samuel. Will you let me? That's what I feel like the Lord's saying. Samuel, let's just pretend for a minute you're Samuel. Samuel, Brent, Cody, Dustin, Jennifer. Will you let me be me in you? Samuel, will you let me be me in you, Samuel, and stop restricting me? Will you stop limiting me? Will you let me be you, be me in you? The path of least resistance, God wants to break out in you. Let me be me in you. Because he loves who you are, the fullness of Christ in you. Matt, you can play us something? If the fullness of Christ is in you, then what's stopping him from overflowing through you? <laughs>